for no matter where you are in your walk, um, sort of a, a, a look at the how to study the Bible. And um, this is called Creative uh, Bible Study Methods. And it's actually a course from a place called Harvest Time. We have in our Bible Institute 104 courses. And you're getting sort of a condensed version, version of one of them in this time. I'm not doing, they do 21 weeks, and I'm not going to do 21 weeks on it. But, uh, but I'll condense some stuff and give you some information. And really, we, we can never know um, enough uh, about the Bible, and we learn things all the time, and we'll be talking about that as we go. So we introduced that last week, and we, we talked about last week, if you were here, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and, and I saw all the books that were in there and how they got there, and you know, that God inspired it, and sort of one author uh, with, you know, lots of different writers, and we talked about a lot of those concepts. That's all available online if you want to go back and get it. This week, I want to continue on, and uh, we're going to dig into this uh, together. There were handouts in the back. If you didn't get one, you might want one where you can take notes. So let's talk about, uh, as we continue on in our Bible study topic, one of the things you have to be doing is you have to be reading the Bible. Uh, this, this dovetails well with something that I tell you all the time on the weekends, but I'm constantly encouraging you to read the book. Uh, you know, the, um, there's so many distractions, but I always, I think this really helps when you realize that we have a very real enemy, and one of his favorite things is to keep you from reading the book. When you realize it's a spiritual attack, it may help you just have enough inspiration to read the Bible every day. Because it's the, one of the main things. If the, if the enemy can keep you from reading the Word and from paying, praying, you're ineffective. That's how it works. And he knows it. And that's, so he, he throws a lot of energy at keeping you from doing those two very important things, reading the Bible and praying. And you can fill your life with a whole lot of other good stuff, but you really become spiritually ineffective if you're not reading the Word and praying. That's how that works. And he knows it. And so he, he just tosses all his energy there. Um, and so, you know, we need to be aware of that, and you need to be reading the book daily. That was point number one in the notes. Uh, in the Psalms, it says, we're to delight in the law of the Lord, and, and on the law we meditate day and night. Uh, the psalmist was talking about reading the Word of God. And you have to think of it like in the same way that you, your, your physical body needs food, your spiritual body needs to be fed uh, daily in order to remain healthy. And our, our spiritual food is the, the Word of God. And... Uh, and so we need to be reading daily, all right? I can't emphasize that enough. Somehow you need to be reading the Bible daily. And uh, there's so many opportunities now. Not only, you know, uh, do we have, you know, hopefully you have a Bible, but it's online, it's on your phone, it's on your, you know, I read my Bible mostly on my iPad. I love to pick up a Bible every now and again, but I, I would do 99% of my reading on my iPad um, because I can make the fonts really big and I don't have to wear my glasses. And so... Um, but you need to be reading it. So daily, you need to read prayerfully. Um, and by that, I mean, when you, you need to make it your habit that when you sit down to read the Bible, you ask God to show you what he wants you to see that day. Uh, I ask the Holy Spirit, would you just, you know, illuminate for me what I'm reading, what you want me to see? And, um, he, something will pop out. It, it almost like it just lights up off the page and, and, it, you know, he helps me in my reading. And so, you know, I want to make sure that you are, reading prayerfully. So you need to read daily. You need to get in the habit of when you sit down to, to read praying. And that simple prayer, God, would you just help me to see what I need to see today? And then, you know, I want to recommend that you read systematically. Um, you, you, it's so important that you read through the Bible. As a believer, you, you need to have read the whole thing. And, and not only once. It's not like you finish and go, whoop, done. 
uh, it, it should be a part of our life. So you need to have a systematic way for reading it. There are lots of different reading plans. You need to find one that works for you. What happens a lot of times with people is they engage on a reading plan, and it's like a New Year's resolution. And they, they do good for two or three days, and then they miss two or three days, and then they get overwhelmed trying to catch up, and then they just stop it altogether. So, so if that doesn't work for you, you know, you need to find something that does work for you. And um, since this is a long journey, you, you, if, if, if one year is too short of a goal, set a two-year goal and lengthen that time out, but, but just go through it. But the Bible is actually a pretty good read. Um, there are places when you get used to reading it and you, and you start to make sense of it, which is why studying it is so important. It gets easier and easier to read when you see how the story ties together. But I would say that for the most part, reading it through that first time will be one of the hardest processes. So, but just press in. It, it makes sense. Uh, and it's important that you do it. And really, the New Testament, you can read the New Testament in a very, very short period of time if you get and start to read it. Uh, it doesn't take long. The Old Testament takes longer. It's obviously, there's more to it. But some of it drags a little until you understand why it's in there. But that comes over time. So pick up a system uh, and do it. So what's your system going to be? Read a chapter a day. That will take you a long time to finish, but it's better than no system at all. So read a chapter out of the old and one out of the new, or two out of the old and one out of the new. Or find a plan, stick to it, make it work, keep reading it, and uh, you'll find it to be very helpful. If you're a beginner, if you've never read the Bible before, just do this. Start with the book of John in the New Testament. Just start there. And, and there's, you know, just 20 chapters. Just read a chapter a day in the book of John. And you, just, just to get you started, you just need a starting point. Um, too many people have picked up the Bible and started trying to read it at Genesis 1. And Genesis 1 is fascinating, but if, if you don't have a sort of a clue at some level about some of the stuff that's going on, you, you, you may not make it very long. And uh, so, so start with the book of John and then go from there. All right. So that's kind of how it's important that we're talking about this whole process. You've got to be reading it in order to study it. So the Bible, uh, when it was originally written over the period of time that we talked about uh, last week, it was written in three languages, primarily three languages. Most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, um, except parts of the book of Daniel and Nehemiah were written in Aramaic, and the New Testament is written primarily in Greek, although there may be a little Aramaic in that as well. None of the original manuscripts are now in existence, but some very, very old, good manuscripts exist. In fact, for the Bible, there are more original manuscripts, or not even really, but the next best thing uh, of that in existence than there are of anything else. Um, so old, uh, old, you know, um, material-wise, literature-wise. The Bible has many, many solid, uh, very early, um, uh, you know, copies of the original, very original manuscripts. And so we're, we're confident because of the volume of those very, very old um, the copies that we have the text in its original format because they all line up very well across the board. Um, and so today what we have are we have um, that we, we commonly call them we have translations and paraphrases of those very very old manuscripts that are in existence. And um, you may wonder why there's so many different versions of the Bible that you have available to you. If you've ever gone and looked at a store, there are multitudes of, of different now types and translations of Bibles. Um, and, and so two things you need to know, there's translations and there's paraphrases. Translations 
um, are an effort to express those original languages that I talk about word, word for word. Um, they're, they're trying to, that's a translation, they're, they're trying to translate directly uh, as they can word for word from those original languages. Where there's some differences in those is that, you know, it's how you understand an original language and, and they have to add English words in there to make up for gaps that they don't have. There's things like that. But those extra words are inserted only when it's necessary in order to read uh, to under you know to be able to understand it in the, in the way that you read it. Paraphrases um, are not translations. They they don't even attempt to translate word for word. What they're doing is um, they're sort of going uh, for the meaning of a passage, and and so they will um, just try and get at what they think the was intended by a passage, and then they'll write it in sort of modern language to attempt to give you the idea behind it, but they are not an exact translation of God's Word. So um, you have to be careful. I like to read paraphrases, but you want to be careful that you're not making it your habit where you're taking your theology out of a paraphrase, because it's not sort of coming right out of a direct translation of the Word of God. So um, you really all should have a Bible that's a translation for study. Um, and again, I like to paraphrase it. A paraphrase is like the Message Bible, which is a great read. Uh, uh, you know, it's a good read at night and stuff, but you, you want to be careful that's not your only sort of Bible reading that you're doing. You want a good translation. People ask me about what translations all the time. Um, I generally use the NIV. Uh, that's just sort of how I grew up. Um, you know, as a Christian, not I wasn't as a kid. I didn't have an NIV, but from the time that I became a believer, uh, like three weeks ago, I've been reading the NIV. And uh, so this is 1985. So, um, but when I'm studying, I usually have the NIV open, and I usually have the King James, King James open with it. And uh, I will just read them side by side for study's sake. But there are good translations. The New American Standard is a good translation, uh, and uh, the New King James is a, is a good translation to read. So there's many, uh, but find one that you, you like that's a translation and make that your study Bible, okay? And when you sit down to study the Bible, just practically try and set a time to do that. And uh, that depends on your schedule. I find I'm way better at reading the Bible in the morning than I am in the evening just because I'm fresher then, and it's usually nice and quiet for me then. But for some people, it's the opposite for them. The mornings are chaotic and crazy, and they don't wake up until they're awake for three hours. So uh, pick a different time for you. Uh, it's very good to have a place to read. kind of helps get you in the habit. So you set aside a place, whether it be a comfortable chair or uh, a, a room or something like that, but that you go there and you make the habit of reading and studying, and it will happen to you without a whole lot of distractions and eye strain and all those other things. And, and, uh, uh, and again, you should always start with prayer. Just very helpful when you, when you begin the process. Now, um, Years ago, I feel funny saying that stuff now. When I was a young man, when we would go to study the Bible, we would have to have some other books along with it. Uh, you would you would need a good concordance, a Bible concordance, uh, and you would need a Bible dictionary, and uh, and and you may have a Bible commentary or two floating around. And it was funny, so because when I first got into the ministry. Uh, having a library of those things was very important, and and so if you were if you were in the ministry, you would have a that was one of the things that you spent all your money on was these series of commentaries 
that would fill up bookshelves so that you could read about some, you know, where some ideas from the Bible came from. And when you get to a passage, you'd go and study it, and you'd have several commentators that you trusted, and you would look everything up in a concordance because you, you couldn't just do what we do now. If you needed to find a verse, you would go to a concordance and look up the word, um, and, and the, the concordance would tell you where it was in the Scripture, and so you could go to it, and you could study it, and you could see where everything else was, and a Bible dictionary would help you sort of know some of the words. Now, don't need any of those things anymore. And, and in fact, most of the pastors I know who had huge libraries have given them away because we have everything on the computer, and it's much easier to work with, and it's much faster, and it's available to all of you, and you can literally just... Uh, type in whatever you're asking for, and boom, the computer tells you how to get there. So it's a fascinating thing. Uh, on the Internet, you, you can use um, Bible Gateway. has everything tied together in one where you can find it, Scripture, verse, passage, multiple translations, paraphrases, commentaries. It's all free. Blue Letter Bible has the same thing. Uh, and those things are in, you know, you don't have to download those. You can just go and get them on the Internet. If you want something you can download, there's like eSword and a number of others you can download all that stuff for free. And uh, it's available to you once you get used to it. So we don't have to have a multitude of books anymore. It's kind of funny. that um, it's, I, I laugh with other pastors my age because we had tremendous libraries and we, had, we just basically gave them away. And, and now nobody wants those even. You know, who are your young guys starting ministry? You want, you want this tremendous collection of knowledge? And they're like, no, I got this. I got more than you got. <laughs> So, there you go. Things change. But uh, if you ever come across those things, concordance, you know, was how you looked up words and found out what they meant in the Greek and the Hebrew, Bible dictionary, those kind of things. So, if you hear them talk about, that's what's going on. All right. Another thing we need to do with the Bible is we need to be able to, um, to understand it, we have to uh, correctly handle it. Let me read you this. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. In the King James, it says, rightly divides the word of truth. And that means you understand the Scripture and understand what's being said and who it's being said, it, who it's being said to, and that you can interpret and apply the meaning correctly. So when you read the Bible... There are three major groups to which the Word is addressing itself, uh, and the Bible comments on itself everywhere. 1 Corinthians 10.32 gives us the three. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God. So primarily, the Scriptures are written at those three groups of people. Now, when I say that, they're all written for us, but not all reverses are directed to us. So, um, for example, you say, well, what do you mean? Okay, well, God told Noah to build an ark. Uh, <laughs> there's a story in there that, that's helpful to us because it teaches us a lot of spiritual principles, but he's not telling you to go build an ark. I don't think, anyway. So let, me, let me clarify. That passage isn't telling you to go build an ark. If he's telling you to build an ark, it's a whole different thing. You should probably come and talk to me about it anyway. <laughs> Just to make sure. Let's check on it. So um, some of the Bible was written and directed primarily to the Jewish folks. Other portions are directed primarily to the Gentile nations and what was going on there. And other portions are directed primarily to the church. And the church is all true believers in Jesus Christ. We're the church. So um, that's how it's broken down. So um, in order to sort of understand what's happening when you're reading the Scripture, 
you have to learn how to divide it, to interpret it, to give it some proper meaning. And, and so for every verse, you have to arrive at the proper meaning for those verses. And yes, a lot of that work has been done in commentaries and stuff, but remember, commentaries are just people's opinions. So, um, and your, your opinions will differ. You're going to find, as you study, you'll find commentators and pastors and theologians that you like, but you need to be careful that you don't take everything they say all in without examining the Scripture for yourself. Because that's not how it works. Because we all have opinions that get into the mix. We all have a bias um, that, that we read the Scripture from. Everybody has a bias that the Scripture is coming from. Because we believe certain things and then we read that the Bible with those the bias in place. Now, over time, the Holy Spirit can work in us and change us if those aren't correct, if we're open to that. But understand, that's where we're coming in from. So... Um, you want to know each, each, how it's, what the Scripture means. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Jesus said, you're in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. So, you know, um, error results from just not knowing God's Word. And there's some principles that you follow in order to rightly interpret the Bible. Six rules for doing that that I'm going to give you. Um, and you know, I want to say, too, that, you know, so this is part of this course, so I'm comfortable with most of what they're saying, but there's probably more rules than this or less rules or whatever. But this is a good part of the course, and it's very helpful in the process. So let's talk about some rules for uh, interpreting the Scripture, understanding the Scripture, putting it all in the right. So the first one is the rule of divine authority. It means that we accept, as believers, we accept the Bible as the final authority on everything because we believe the Bible is inspired by God from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. Second Timothy 3.16, remember Paul said, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture is God-breathed. So we, we believe that every portion of the Bible is inspired. So now, and I, I would say that, you know, I'm a definite believer in that. I believe it's all inspired. There, there will be people who believe some of it's not, and we have to allow the Holy Spirit. I believe every portion of the Bible is inspired. So when we accept the rule of divine authority, then, then we don't have conflicts with the Bible itself or with history or with science, because if there is a conflict, the Bible will always prove itself right. Always. Always, always, always. Always has. Lots of stuff has happened. People go, now, well, all this science stuff... The Bible will always prove itself right, and they keep coming back to the Bible. They keep coming back to the Bible. It's fascinating to watch patterns of scientific ideas that pop up. Oh, this, 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 and everybody goes, yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden they go, ah, ah, here's how it really works, and the Bible is right again. And that continues to happen. History continues to happen that way. Archaeology continues to happen that way. It will always come back to the Bible. The Bible's a final authority. The Bible got it right. So... Um, that, that's, that's where we choose to believe. And where there's a difference, we're going to trust that the Bible's right, and we're going to wait for it to catch up, and it will. Uh, the, the, everything else will catch up to the Bible. So it, and, and trust me, over time, it always has, and it always will. So anyway, we, we believe it. So when you're reading the Bible, you, you need to read it as, you know, it's the, the God's authority. It's divine authority when we got it. Okay, that's one rule. Second one, the rule of literal interpretation. Um, it means that, that we're to um, uh, believe it, we believe what it says. Uh, we, we interpret it literally unless the context clearly indicates otherwise. 
So when the Bible says that Israel crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, dry ground we accept it as that's what happened. People are, oh, well, that couldn't have been this or it couldn't have been that or didn't, you, you know. If the Bible says it, we're going to accept it literally, unless it tells us, hey, no, I'm telling you something as a story. Um, um, when the Bible tells us that the walls of Jericho fell down, we believe it, that that's how it happened. Uh, it, it, uh, it took place. When you read, there are sometimes some types of things where certain places or people or events um, were literal in themselves, but they were pointing to events in the future that will happen and well. And there's also a lot of symbols that are used in the Bible. Uh, and so a symbol will stand for something in addition to its ordinary one. For example, uh, in uh, Mark 14, 22, um, the wine is used as a symbol of the blood of Christ. So they weren't drinking actual blood, they were drinking wine, but it was symbolic. In uh, Bible prophecy, uh, the great image of Nebuchadnezzar uh, that Daniel dreamed of has a symbolic significance, and each part represented, you know, a future world kingdom that was going to come. And we, we watched all that, you know, and it, it did exactly what it said it was going to do, and those all those things happened the way they said, and some were still waiting to have happened, but but nonetheless, that happens. So um, we're gonna we're gonna read the Bible literally, unless it tells us not to. Jesus. Um, often taught in parables, and um, a parable was a story that he told for illustrating a truth, but when Jesus teaches in a parable, the Bible tells us. It'll say right out, Jesus told this parable, (laughs) and there you go. Then you go, okay, it's a parable. So then you're you're reading, he's teaching something with with some things that were happening, all right? Um, If it doesn't say it was a parable, the story should be accepted as an actual event. There's the rule of contextual consideration. What that means is that the Bible needs to be studied in relation to the Bible. That when you read in context, you're going to have heard me say this throughout, if you've been coming here. I always tell you how important it is to read in context. Context, context. So you, the, the, when you read a scripture, the verses that come before it and the verses that come after it relate to it in some way. And you need to make sure that you're reading scripture in context. Many false doctrines and cults um, have been created because verses or parts of verses were taking, taken out of their context and nobody challenges it. So it has to fit. Um, it has to remain in context. So, for example, did you know that the Bible says there is no God? What? I put it in your notes. Psalm 14.1. Right there. Part of it. There is no God. 14.1b. But if you read the passage in context, it says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And you go, oh, well, yeah, yeah. But listen, it's very clear because I made sure you got that it was clear. But the reality is that people take Scripture out of context just like that all the time and make it say something that it's not saying, and that's how people get in trouble. And if you don't challenge it by reading it for yourself, you can go right off with it. So it has to remain in context. And a lot of people say things are in the Bible that aren't even in there. Do you, do you know that? People say, oh, like, uh, uh, God... God helps those, that's where I was coming. God helps those who help themselves. Oh, oh, okay. That's not in the Bible. <gasps> but there's a lot of stuff that people say like that that just aren't in there. Don't, don't assume that it's in there. You haven't read it for yourself. Well, is it in there, really? Um, then there's some stuff in there you wouldn't think was in there, but still, it's in there. So it's good. Got to read it. So you have to read it in context or it can get really messed up. So when you're when you're looking at a verse and you want to keep it in contrast, there's a context. There's a few questions you can ask yourself. So it's important to know who's speaking or writing um, in, in the, the scripture that you're reading. 
who's, who's actually doing it? I know it's all inspired, but, but who do we have giving it said? Um, what are they saying? And, and so, you know, oftentimes you kind of write, well, what, what's he going after? Who are they saying it to? Is it to Israel? Is it to the Gentile nation? Is it to the church? Is it to somebody specific? Why were they saying it? What was the purpose of the passage? And why was it there? And a lot of times in the Scripture, it'll actually say why they wrote what they wrote. Like in John 20, at the end of John, uh, verse 30, 31, it says, um, Other signs uh, truly did Jesus in, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So there you have the purpose of John. Uh, he, he wrote it right in the book. And that happens pretty often. There's a purpose. Um, but sometimes it's not. And so you've got to really look at the context and see why he was there. When it was said makes a big difference, and what was being spoken into in the process. And, uh, and so you have to kind of think about those things when you're making sure you're getting the real meaning for a passage uh, so that you don't take it out of context. And a lot of times if you continue to read in context, what you were reading that you didn't understand will be explained further on in this passage of Scripture. Um, that happens a lot with Jesus explaining his parables. So if you're reading Matthew and you get a parable which was written to make you think and you're not sure what it means, oftentimes he'll explain it for you. So that's very handy. Um, there's another little rule that's kind of interesting, the rule of first mention. And so in the Bible, the first time a word or a phrase or an object or an incident is mentioned in the Bible, it often gives a key to the meaning of it later on when you read about it. So like, like this. Uh, in Genesis 3, there's the first mention of fig leaves, right? And Adam used fig leaves to cover his sin and nakedness, or attempt to do that anyway, by his own efforts. So that was a picture of what he was doing to cover his, his nakedness. And, and so from that point on in Scripture, when you read about figs and fig leaves, they're, they're, um, they speak of self-righteousness, a rejection of the way God wants to do things, an attempt to justify oneself before God. And, and so that happens a lot. Well, if you kind of know that going in, all of a sudden in Matthew 21 and, and Mark 11 and 13, when, when Jesus is, is cursing a fig tree and it withers away, and you go, why in the world did he do that? What did the poor fig tree ever do to Jesus? <laughs> well, it's a picture of this whole thing. Um, uh, you need to remember that it was mentioned that fig, fig leaves represent God's, uh, man's rejection of God's remedy and, self, and a self-righteous attempt to do it. And so the the fig tree represented uh, the self-righteous nation of Israel who had rejected Jesus. And they rejected him as king, wouldn't accept his plan of salvation from sin, and they were trying to be uh, righteous through their own elf efforts. So all of a sudden, now it makes sense. Well, that's why the it was a big picture or something going back to what was happening. There's also the rule of repetition. And what that means is uh, there's no unnecessary part. So sometimes you'll see things that happen repeatedly, when you see them happen like that, you need to know that there's a reason for it. In John 3, uh, John 3, 3, uh, Jesus says, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom. In verse 5, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom. Verse 7, uh, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Uh, the same point Jesus makes three times right in a row. Why? It's a pretty important point. And so here comes this repetition coming at you. It's the Holy Spirit saying, you should pay attention to this. I'm going to keep saying it. Do you go, oh, and, and uh, so that's one of the things you need to see. And, and uh, sometimes the, you'll see, you know, the, the pay, basically it's paying attention. Get it. Look. Really look at what's going on. And then the, there's the rule of cumulative revelation. And um, 
what that means is that the full truth of God's Word on any subject can't be gathered from an isolated passage. It, it has to stand up to the uh, entire Bible. That's why it's called cumulative. So you can't base your, your, your doctrine or your teaching or beliefs on a few isolated verses about a subject. It all needs to fit. You, you need to keep studying until all of those things fit into uh, consistently uh, with the whole of the Scripture. And, and so that's very important that you don't just have a, you know, a, a pet verse or two. Oh, well, everything, it's got to fit into the whole dynamic or, or there's probably something not right with it. Second Peter 1.20 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the, we have this amazing book. That we have the Scripture and, and amazing insight, but we need to make sure that we're studying it, learning to correctly handle it, to divide it properly, to understand why it was written, and to, to make sure we're not taking stuff way out of context to try and make a point. Um, and, and, and it needs to be in context. And listen, one of those things you, can, you need to be looking for if someone is, is teaching or doing something is that they're trying, they want you to read stuff in context. They've made a point of trying to keep things in context for you because it's very, very important. And, and uh, uh, you know, there's, just be careful. So that's how you do it. So always read verses in context. I always encourage you to read stuff. Go read it in context. I know I've said it to you, so you've heard it. Um, look at a verse. If I'm, if I'm uh, you know, I, often when I teach on the weekends, I'll be working out of a passage. But in those times when I'm teaching a little more topically, I encourage you, if I'm using one verse, go read it in context, because I'm trying to hold it in context when I use it. And if I'm not, then, then you shouldn't listen to it. So um, work through those things, because that's very important. And so that's enough for this week, and I'm stopping there. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. We'll be back next week.